Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Around the Diamond. I am Adam Hernandez. With me tonight is Tony, and Tip is uh, not in tonight. He will be back with us next week. But, Tony, how are you doing out there on the West Coast? Uh, good, if it will ever get warm. I know you guys are going through a little bit of a heat wave right now. Actually, you know what? We we had our heat wave, which was brutal. It was like 100 degrees here. It was, it was sickening. But today probably felt feels like regular San Diego weather. It was in the mid to high 70s, sunny. It was nice. It's too bad I was stuck yeah, in work all day. <laughs> it's not even supposed to get out of the uh, mid-70s all week and i'm like you know what i'm ready for some warm weather <laughs> i really am we, we haven't we haven't seen any days of a, above about 82 I, I would have to say since march well you should have come home last week because well, it I was should've. <laughs> i should have i should have enjoyed it because <laughs> it, it was it was brutal and i and i tell you i mean i think a lot of people were making a bigger deal out of it than you know it actually was people were acting like they were dying out there but you know it was hot but nothing like how a lot of people are acting around here. It was it was actually kind of sickening. But <laughs> anyways, um, we've got a we've got a packed show tonight. Um, lots of things to discuss. Um, a lot of things going on in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, the first thing that we are going to uh, that we're going to discuss tonight, and it seems to be a pretty big topic that broke. Um, I would say over the weekend because I really didn't hear anything about it prior, and that is um, the talk about MLB realign, realigning itself right now. Um, it seems like what they want to do is they want to have an equal number of, uh, of teams in each league. Uh, right now, as it stands, there are 16 teams in the National League, and there are 14 teams in the American League. And... When you think about that, you think it might sound like it's a little, you know, ridiculous. Okay, why don't they just, you know, why why isn't this something they've they why haven't they done this a while ago? Um, and basically, the reasoning of I would say that's behind it is scheduling. Um, but anyways, what they're talking about is they want to do is they want to realign the Major League Baseball, the divisions. Um, they want to have one team go from. Uh, Obviously, the National League to the American League to make things a little bit more even. And like I said just a second ago, um, one of the things that's going to come out of this is um, there's going to be some scheduling conflicts. Um, right now, interleague play is grouped together throughout you know different times during the season, and then after that, American leagues, American League teams play American League other American League teams, and the same thing goes for the National League. Um, with this format, though, if they're looking at doing this format, if they're realigning the way that they say they want to realign, uh, then it seems like one American League team is going to have to face another National League team at least at least one series. Um, Tony? What are your thoughts on this? Are you for it? Are you against it? What are your What are some of your ideas about this? You know, I think they should put Milwaukee back in the uh, American League. I, I really do. I know the. I know one of the reasons why they moved them in the mid '90s to the National League is just because of the roots. Of course, a lot of people know that the Milwaukee Brewers had a team in Milwaukee. Well, it used to be the Seattle Pilots, and then they moved to Milwaukee and became the Milwaukee Brewers. The Atlanta Braves, of course, once upon a time were in Boston and then moved from Boston to Milwaukee where they were for a good number of years, and then they moved on to Atlanta. Now, that being said, you would think that maybe Milwaukee might be one of these first choices to go switch, make that switch to the American League. Um, a lot of people have a different mentality in the Major League front office. Now, I've seen probably, I would say, any one of a dozen proposals from, you know, switching Milwaukee back to the American League, put them in the Central, put one of the teams like a, like a, a Kansas City, maybe put them out west, or uh, maybe put Cincinnati, uh, put Cincinnati in the, in the Central and move a Kansas City or Minnesota out west. 
You know, I, I've got to be honest with you on this, Adam. I, I agree with what they're trying to do, but I do see the scheduling conflicts, as you said. I, I see a lot of inner, I, I see a lot of inter-regional matchups. Uh, if you're looking at moving a Milwaukee or a Cincinnati out there. Yeah, you know what, you know what, Tony. We talked about we talked about interleague play um, a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like a lot of people are are bored and tired with it. I, for one, to tell you the truth, I really, I really don't care. I, I, I like interleague play the way it is right now. And to tell you the truth, if if this is the way that they're going to go, if they're truly going to have uh, fifteen teams in each league here. And have to, you know, where and and have to play at least one interleague series, you know, to, you know, so you know a team isn't left out, then that's perfectly fine with me. I really, I really don't, I really don't care, Tony. It's, uh, it's, it seems like people that whine about interleague play, it seems like they're just looking for something to bitch about, you know. And to me, it's not, it's not really that big of a deal, and. This was originally, um, you know, broken by Buster Olney of ESPN. And he said that, you know, later on down the line, if this actually does come into play, then you're going to have to have, then there's going to be one contending team down the stretch of the season that's probably going to have to play an interleague game or an interleague series, which is going to determine, you know, whether or not they make the playoffs, which, again, I'm perfectly fine with it. It doesn't matter to me because eventually you're going to have to play the World Series, and eventually you're going to have to have those inter- that interleague matchup going forward from there. So again, I think I think a lot of MLB fans out there that have a problem with this have a problem with it just because they they they're looking for something to pitch about. Because I really I really don't see any problems with it whatsoever. Well, I'll tell you what. I, have you seen the article uh, that Jim Bowden put out from um, uh, on ESPN.com yesterday? Of course, Jim Bowden, uh, you guys know him as a, the uh, – he served as the senior vice president and GM for the Cincinnati Reds and the Nationals. Mm-hmm. He actually took this from a, a geographic realignment, did six teams of five, which, you know, you might think it's just as simple as switching one team. But I really, really like what he did this. And, you know, if, if, I, if you could give me a couple minutes to go over this, I'd love to do this. You know what, Tony? I, I, I loved I, – I was trying to think about who actually wrote – because I heard about that article. So that would be awesome if you could find that. I'm glad you actually brought that up. Um, I, I actually have it right here. In okay, great. Awesome. Uh, Jim, Bowden, Jim Bowden, of course, you know, like I said, executive for the Reds and the Nationals. Um, you know, and this guy, he's the youngest – GM in Major League Baseball history when the Reds hired him at 31. So this guy is not just some spring chicken out of the box here. He's been around the block. He knows baseball. But he actually didn't his idea about it was a little bit radical but he no longer has these really in leagues. He has these in, have, has it divided in conferences. He has an American conference and a national conference. Now follow me here. In the Eastern Division, he has the Red Sox, the Mets and the Yankees, the Phillies, and the Blue Jays. Can you imagine what that division would be like I, I, from it, year to year? It sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the Central, and this will be one for, uh, for the Tiger fans here. Cincinnati, Cleveland, the Tigers, the Twins, and the Pirates. The Pirates moving into the Central along with the Reds. Interesting. Geographic. Yes. Makes sense. The Midwest Division, now follow me here because this is interesting, the Cubs and the White Sox, the Royals, the Brewers, and the Cardinals. So you, now you have the Cubs and the White Sox being right there, and the Royals and St. Louis being right there, and the Brewers right up the corridor from Chicago. That makes perfect sense. Now, when we switch over to the National Conference, it gets a little bit more separated. The Southeast Division is Atlanta, uh, the Baltimore Orioles, Florida, Tampa, and Washington. Sort of, you know, I look at this as sort of mimicking the NHL a little bit. You know, you can see just where uh, where Jim is working. It does sound very they, NHL-like. 
Yeah, and it does. The Western Division is Arizona, Colorado, Houston, Seattle, and Texas. Now, Seattle is the only wild card in this. Everything else makes sense because it's Southwest. Uh, how Seattle fits in there, I don't know, but, you know, that was his <laughs> idea. Because the final division is the California division. The Angels, the Dodgers, the Athletics, the Padres, the Giants. Hey, that sounds like good baseball right there. That sounds... Yeah, there's probably five of the six divisions that make perfect sense. I don't know. The Seattle one is a little out there, but you know what? I, I really like his idea here. You know what, though, Tony? Things aren't going to be perfect. I mean, I see what he's trying to do. You know, he's like you said, he's he's trying to make things... Every, he's trying to make everything geographically sound, and he wants to make everything work geographically, which is cool. And... And like I said, things aren't going to be perfect. I mean, you're not going to have every single team line up just right. You're going to have some outliers there, like like a Baltimore in a Southeast division. I mean, that's that's fine with me. Um, and I love that all California division too. I mean, that makes for, I mean, that makes up for some very very interesting baseball, especially for fans in California. Uh, I mean well, that's gonna that's gonna spark tons and tons of interest in California for um especially you know I I see this really uh boding well too for a team like the Athletics that seem to have trouble getting attendance but if they're sitting there if they're playing you know you know in-state rivals consistently then I don't I, I see good things coming out of that I, and the other part of this. Uh, geographic realignment that Jim Bowden had um, had mentioned was talking about playoff seating. And he's talking about expanding it from the current 8 to 12. You have your th- you have your three division winners and then three wild cards. And it would be an 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 NFL type format where your first where your 3 through 6 play their first series and then 1 and 2 you know get the rest and, you know, wait for the other seeds to play out. I, I, I like that, but then again, you've got the, the layoff factor, the rust, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, in October, you know, you know how the games are going later and later every year. Sure. This may be one of those cases where, I mean, if you don't do best of fives at some point, then you're going to be playing baseball well into November. And, you know, right now it's it's got gotten to where baseball's touching Halloween and uh, first of November right now. Yeah, and you know what I, and that's and that's definitely that's definitely a problem. Uh, and you know, and it seems like that's something they're going to have to remedy here eventually. You know, the way that they have, you know, as far as how long the season goes and when it starts and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm going to throw this out there, Tony, and I don't know. You tell me what you think about it. Okay, so you're going to have 15 teams in each league here. And obviously, like we talked about, that's going to, you know, cause some type of scheduling conflict here. Um, what, what do you think the possibility is here that we, it, within, let's say, the next 10 years, the Major League Baseball seeks expansion and goes to 32 teams like the NFL, uh, putting 16 teams in each uh, in each league here i mean it seems like talking about going to four um four division uh conference similar to what the nfl has yes um and you know i think i think it's possible uh i i don't think that the talent pool would be diluted that much and i think baseball is popular enough where it can support 32 teams I know there's a lot of traditionalists out there that, you know, would scoff at that idea that, you know, already think that there's too many teams are that there's too many teams already. I don't know. It's an idea. What do you think? I'd like to see a baseball team in Puerto Rico. I really would because Montreal proved back in 2003 that they could draw in Puerto Rico, even though it wasn't their team. Mm-hmm. I really believe that Puerto Rico being basically a province of uh, the United States, why not give Puerto Rico a shot? And it, and there's such, and, and I was gonna say there's I'll such please, a heavy, yeah, I, I was gonna say there's such a heavy Latin influence too in baseball, and you know, and then there's you know, and there's tons of players from Puerto Rico, and I, 
And like you said, when the Expos went and played there, you know, prior to them moving to uh, Washington, it was successful. My question to you would be, let's say they took San Juan as the um, as the 31st team. Who would you get to be 32nd? I mean, you just look at the geographical layout of the teams already. I mean, you figure that there's no teams playing in Idaho. There's no teams playing in Montana. There's no teams playing in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can just throw those out as being, you know, non-baseball, non-traditional baseball. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you know where I'm going with that. Yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to Vegas next? I mean, you could. I, I think Vegas could house a team, but I don't know if anybody's going to want to play in 105, 110 degree weather in summertime. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to throw. I was going to throw out a couple of cities here. Um, out west, what about Portland? Portland actually has a triple-A team. It used to be the um, used to be the Portland Beavers used to be the triple-A team for the Padres. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure who they are now. They are, they're definitely a triple-A team. I would question their attendance because they just built a new park about five or six years ago, and they, they don't sell it out that often. I, I would question them supporting supporting a team and you know they could have a good geographical rivalry with seattle and the bay area teams okay i'm gonna go to the midwest here um i'm gonna say san antonio oklahoma city san antonio you're gonna get non you're gonna get issues with um proximity and it's the same it's the same instance as you've got with uh, with Jim Balsilli when he tried to purchase the uh, the Phoenix Coyotes um, and tried to move them to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Hamilton has an, is basically so close to Toronto and Buffalo, you're you're going to have problems with drawing. And and just in Texas alone, if you do San Antonio, Houston's three hours away. Uh, Dallas from San Antonio is about four four and a half hours away. Plus, you have a series of AAA teams just in South Central Texas alone. I, I could see it working, but I could also see it working against them, and they'd be p- competing against the Rangers and competing against the Astros for uh, just for attendance. And you know, with a couple of solid AAA teams that are not too far away, Round Rock Express being the Texas Farm Club, you're going to have a lot of uh, you're going to have a lot of com- competition for the dollar. I'm okay. I'm going to move a little bit more east here. Um, not too much though. And I'm going to throw out Indianapolis. I see. I see. Uh, there's a heavy, heavy Cub um, fan base in Indianapolis right now, uh, and I could see a, a rivalry developing between them and the White Sox or them and the Cubs. What do you think about Indianapolis? I see more Louisville. Okay. I, I really see more Louisville than Indianapolis because just, I mean, you have the tradition, baseball, good, solid baseball tradition in Louisville. I mean. Nothing more American than the Louisville Slugger, right? That's right. <laughs> and you know, just they they just built a brand new ballpark in Louisville about five years ago, and you know they're right there on the banks of the Ohio, uh, not too far, really all that far from Cincinnati. I, I could see Louisville being a very uh, viable franchise, and they they do draw well. You don't think they call themselves the Sluggers, do you? <laughs> <laughs> mm, well, they're not going to call themselves the Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's uh, one more, and I'm going to go on the East Coast here, and I'm going to say Carolina. Carolina, I, I think you've got good baseball history with the Carolina League. Um, you, you've got the Durham Bulls, of course. We all know, you know, they were really featured in the uh, the movie Bull Durham. Mm-hmm. Uh, Durham Athletic. Park is one of the uh, the grand old parks in, in the United States as far as a good baseball history. I I, I like Charlotte. I, I really like what Charlotte could bring to the table. They, you know, they may not draw as well anymore for the for the Panthers, but I really do think they have a good baseball history. And there's lots of Double A ball around. That might be that might be what uh, kicks up the uh, you know the attendance really. In, in double A there, mm-hmm. and and sing, I think single A is part of uh, Carolina League. I think Southern Le- Southern League is double A. 
No, Tony, I'm going to throw out a couple of other um, ideas here. And I know, I know we saw teams, we saw Montreal fail the Expos. But the, the, my, prior to that, Montreal was around for a really long time. And I question, um, in all of that, I question the ownership um, that they had there as far as, um, as far as the fan base kind of dwindling and, you know, becoming essentially non-existent there towards the end. Uh, but what about exploring the idea of putting another team in Canada um, I don't know. What do, what do you think about that? It's interesting you brought that up because I was thinking Vancouver. I was thinking, uh, I was thinking Vancouver also. <laughs> but I know that a lot of people will refer back to the failure of the Vancouver Grizzlies, but sure. baseball is not basketball. Exactly. You know, the Pacific Northwest, if it's not the Sonics, or, you know, and we know the Sonics are not there, um, the Sonics were the draw back then. Mm-hmm. I, I like, you know, Vancouver's got a good AAA history. I believe that for quite a while they were the Giants' AAA team. Um, I, I also want to say that you've got you've got AAA teams right now. You have your AAA in Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. That's that's your big three up in the um, the Canadian uh, Pacific Northwest. I, I think Vancouver would be good. I would love to see a nice place like Vancouver or Edmonton get it, or maybe even a place like Winnipeg. Sure. Absolutely. I, I really I really like the idea of expanding things a little bit more internationally though. I like what you said about Puerto Rico. And I and I would like to see Major League Baseball try its hand at putting another team in Canada again. I think I think it could work. Um and like I said, I think the I think one of the only reasons why things failed in Montreal is because of of the shoddy ownership that they had while they were there towards the end. Um a couple of other things, though, as far as uh, as far as interleague or not interleague play, but MLB realignment. Um, before we move on, since we're kind of uh, um, overboard on this here, but uh, uh, one of the other ideas being thrown around here is um, getting rid of divisions altogether um, and having 15 teams vie for five playoff spots in each league, um, and two teams that potentially could be making the jump to the American League are the Marlins and the Astros. The Astros being because uh, they like to see a rivalry develop between them and the uh, Texas Rangers. Um, Tony, your, your thoughts on this real quick. I'm not a fan of it. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to go and make just 16 or 15 teams vie for five positions, in each league, I just I'm, I'm not a big fan of this because you're going to have identity problems. You're going to have, you know, you're going to wonder who's in first place, and then you're going to be like, okay, where's my team? Well, my team's in ninth place. Well, who's the eight teams ahead of them? I mean, I, I think they'd be just too hard to keep track of it. I mean, we're not in the 50s anymore. No, I mean, they used to they used to do this in the 50s and the 60s. Well. You know, I don't know how my dad used to keep track of the standings <laughs> other, other than opening up the paper. And we, we have computers and such. But come on. If you're talking with a casual fan, they're not really going to know that the San Diego Padres are in, you know, are in sixth place or the Marlins are in 14th place. You know, just with the way – with that way. I, I just don't – I don't get it. And I, I I don't know I I just like I just like the division setups I like the rivalries that develop within the divisions and I just and I just think um, teams will kind of get lost in that type of format so I and it and I think it puts too much emphasis on uh, on the big market clubs like the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox um, and you know if you want to go National League to the Philadelphia Phillies I I just I just don't think that that's a very good idea. Um, other than that, though, that's that's MLB realignment. We do have some feedback on this too, Tony, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the majors X or facebook.com slash TMSNX. Um, from Kevin, um, when asked how you how do you feel about MLB realignment, he says keep the divisions, keep interleague play, junk the unbalanced schedule, keep it at four oh, teams yeah. in the playoffs, but make the first round best of seven. Schedule double headers during the season at one and seven p.m. so the owners get two gate receipts. Um, that way we can, that way we can be done with baseball by mid October, like 
we should be. And I totally agree with them, especially I like it. with that, uh, with, you know, bringing back double headers. That's something I really, really miss about baseball is seeing double headers. And for instance, like tonight, the Tigers are playing, uh, are playing um, the Tampa Bay Rays in a makeup game. This should have been one of their days off. Um, I know we get baseball again tonight, but things really take a toll on players. It screws with the pitching rotations. Why not just bring double headers back? Um, you know, and like and like Kevin said in there, have one game start at one p.m. and the other one start at seven. It, to me, it doesn't it doesn't seem like uh, that it should be that big of an issue. Oh, I, I love that concept. I'm a big I'm a big fan of the businessman special. Uh, I'm a big fan of the one or two o'clock game during the week. Uh, they do do that out here in San Diego. It's a three thirty local start, six thirty Eastern, and it does get a lot of people away from the, the office early. They used to do twelve thirties out here, but I love the one in seven doubleheader. I'm a big fan of that. You get, you know, you're not having to jump bang bang, you know, end of one game, 20 minutes later into the next game. You know, I, I think you're you'll end up with a lot of injuries. Even though it's old school, I, I think you end up with a lot of injuries if you end up with a 5:30 start, and then you could end up with a 9:30 or 10 o'clock second game, depending on how the first game runs. One in seven, I love. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it, too. It seems, and it, like I said, it's something I miss. It seems like it was something that was synonymous, too, with baseball, playing doubleheaders, two games in one day from your favorite teams. And I, I don't like that they that they pretty much gotten rid of it. Um, it, 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 it. And it seems like it's something that they should be, that should be brought back, especially since we're having, um, you know, the season go to, you know, almost to Thanksgiving now. So... Um, yeah. Other than that, though, we're going to go ahead and move on here. Um, Tony, you brought this to my attention this past week. Uh, BleacherReport.com. Uh, there was a list on there highlighting the 50 most overrated players in MLB history. Um, we can go ahead and we're going to put this on our Facebook page just so you can take a look at it from there. Um, but since we're kind of you know running overboard here, Let's take a look at least at the top 10 that we have here, Tony, on this okay. list. Um, and I have it set right now at the at number 10. Number 10 is Mark McGuire. Um, obviously, Mark McGuire is going to bring up a lot of attention in this uh, simply because of the whole steroid scandal that he was involved in. Um, and to me, I, I, I agree with Mark McGuire being in the top 10 simply because of, of the steroids and... Um, simply because he was really only, I mean, he he, he was a power hitter. Um, but in here, they say his career batting average was 263. And obviously, a lot of his, uh, a lot of the excitement was generated from that home run race in 1998 with Sammy Sosa. What do you think of Mark McGuire, though? Well, I think 98 really, I mean, this Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire home run chase. Griffey in there as well for for a little while. Really, I, I in my opinion, I, I think it saved baseball, you know, from coming back. And they were so sluggish coming back out from the strike of uh, 1995 or 94. Um, you know, I, I tend to agree with McGuire in the average, as far as the average. The numbers, I mean, the numbers really speak for themselves as far as the um, the homers and RBIs. But we all know it is a product of. Uh, of virtually the you know the steroid era, and I would have to agree, just for that I would not have rated him number ten though. That's that's a little bit high. Yeah, I mean i I think I would have given him. Um, I I think I would have ranked him a little bit lower, um, simply because I don't know. I I agree with you when you said he when he when you said he he helped save baseball. Um, which I think, which I think is true. So, you know, I probably would have, I probably would have bumped him back, uh, down as, you know, I, like, I, I still think he, I, I don't think maybe he should have probably been in the top 10. I think maybe definitely within the top 20 though. Um, next yeah. on this list though, we have, uh, number nine, Hideo Nomo. Um, Nomo was a very, very, uh, I don't want to say big time Japanese pitcher when he came over. He definitely uh, 
you know, garnered tons and tons of interest, um, maybe because of his unique delivery that he had, um, which was very synonymous with the way that uh, that Japanese pitchers seem to be brought up over in Japan, um, kind of like, you know, that, that, that jerky motion, that delayed motion. Uh, he went 13 and six his rookie year. Uh, he was far more as effective until until 2002 when he went 16 and six. Uh, what do you think about Hideo Nomo in this article? They called him a flash in the pan. How do you feel about Hideo Nomo, Tony? Uh, since we mentioned him twice in uh, two weeks, uh, the check is the majors dot net. <laughs> uh, that's twice in two weeks, Hideo. You can send the checks our direction. Um, real, you know, seriously, uh, I, I think the herky-jerky motion is what made him unique, plus just the influx of players from the Orient there. Uh, Nomo, Chanho Park, uh, you can put right in there. Um, you know, and eventually right on to, uh, really to, um, not, well, Hideki Matsui you can put in there as well, but uh, Ichiro Suzuki. Yeah. And, you know, we can pretty much say that uh, Nomo and Park basically led the uh, the migration of uh, Japanese uh, Japanese players into the uh, into the U.S. game. But a little bit overrated, though, I, I would be I, I would have him actually a little bit higher than nine. I did. He did. He have a did he have a no hitter in his career? I believe he did. He, did. he had two. Yeah, he had two no hitters. Um I think, like you know, a lot of people would think that that's that that's all. And I'm going to be talking about no hitters a little bit later on in this list. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, that, it's it's what sparked my it's what sparked my attention about this list. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I I I mean, I I love no hitters. I think that's a definitely an accomplishment. Um, but it seems like you know you can get you can get the most mediocre pitcher nowadays. To pitch a no hitter, I mean Armando Galarraga threw a perfect game last, and, and I'm and I know we didn't go down the record books as a perfect game, but all baseball fans know it should have been a perfect game. And now he doesn't even have a job on a on a on a on an MLB roster. He's playing for the you know the Arizona Diamondbacks farm team right now. So I'm not going to hang my hat too much on two no hitters. And I agree with you. I think he was probably no, more known for his his delivery than you know his his overall accomplishments. Um, number eight, though, on this list, and another controversial figure is Daryl Strawberry. Um, and you know, obviously, Daryl Strawberry, I think, is more known for, or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but he may be more known for his troubles off the field with drugs and. And, and doing jail time. What do you think, though, of Daryl Strawberry being on this list, Tony? Within I the agree. top ten. I, I do agree, because the fact is, Daryl Strawberry had the potential to just become basically one of a 600 home run guy. He literally had the tools to do it. He never had a batting average above uh, 284. But he still was producing. He had two consecutive 39 home run years in 87 and 88. He was instrumental in the 86 uh, world champions. Um, and, you know, he was right along with Doc Gooden to the youth, uh, to the members of the youth movement and add Lenny Dykstra right in into that youth movement. And the Mets were solid. And it's the, the whole reason why the Mets were solid in the, eight, in the 80s. But then, then he got bit by the bug, you know, the trouble bug. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just, it, it was a downward spiral from there. You know, he only hit 259 for his career. He only had 335 home runs in 17 seasons. Not, I mean, it's not bad, but at the same time, I mean, it's a what could have been situation with Daryl Strawberry. I really do believe he belongs here in the top 10. Uh, number seven, another. New York Yankee, um, Daryl Straub, or not, I'm sorry, not Daryl Straub, we just mentioned Daryl Straub, Don Mattingly. Um, in here it says, after 1989, Mattingly didn't hit over 300 again until 1994. Uh, his season was limited to 97 games. His power was gone, and so was his ability to hit for average. Um, again, I really didn't have 
for me, I, I really didn't get to see too much of Don Mattingly play that I can remember. You know, like like I remember some other players playing, like a um, like a Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa '98. What are your thoughts on Don Mattingly, though? It seems you know because he is, you know, and they mentioned it in this article. He is still a fan favorite in, in New York. Um, but I mean, obviously that's a good point that they bring up about him not hitting over 300 again until 1994. What do you think of this? Well, he was maligned a lot of his career because he did play on some really bad Yankee teams. Um, my opinion, I I don't think he's overrated. I, uh, if he's, if he's got to be anywhere on this list, I'd say in the bottom 25, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he was overrated by any means. He, he hit very well for average, uh, Yes, he did hit less than 300 um, for uh, a five-year span. But you know what? The, the team wasn't all that good either. So I, I don't agree with the positioning of Don Mattingly here. I, I don't believe there's any part of him overrated whatsoever. Well, number six, and this guy, you know, it seemed like he was he was here one day, then gone the next, and that's Mo Vaughn. Um, during the time with the Red Sox and Angels, they say Vaughn averaged 30 home runs and hit for an average hovering around 300. However, they go on to mention that he was an awful first baseman. His fielding percentage for his career was um, 988, and he committed 139 errors. Um, basically just saying that, you know, he had just as many strengths as he had weaknesses. Um like I said, Mo Vaughn seems like one of those guys that was here one day and then gone the next. What What do you think about Mo Vaughn, Tony? I don't know. I, I think Mo Vaughn's weakness was the cheeseburger for a little while there. Because <laughs> I mean, one of the last one of the last full time players to wear the number forty two. To be honest with you, there and you know, of course, number forty two is the great Jackie Robinson, yep. and they retired that number. Um, Really, he was. He he was a good power hitter. Uh, 320 homers over 12 seasons. He hit tw- 293. But the minute he started getting injured, he he missed uh, the 2001 year. Ended up in the National League with the Mets. Had a 259 year, and then ended up getting let go after 27 games with the Mets. Uh, I mean, 293 average is good average. Didn't they didn't win much with Boston? But he, he was MVP in 1995, um, and he actually hit 310 the year that they had the strike year of 1994. Um, I, I don't believe he's I don't believe he's overrated, but if you got to put if you have to put him on this list, I, I would say somewhere between 20 and 30. The next one, um, again, maybe another controversial one. Definitely a controversial figure is Pete Rose. Um, he accumulated 4,256 hits in his 24 seasons. Uh, and then down below in this article that they write, during his last five seasons in the bigs where he accounted for over 660 hits, his average dipped well below 300. If we take those hits away, he still finishes well over 3,000. But 3,590 does not sound that as impressive I don't agree with Pete Rose being in the top five at all. I think, you know, obviously Pete Rose had his troubles off the field with gambling, and obviously he was basically thrown out of, you know, Major League Baseball and, you know, had his shot taken away or of ever getting into the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, Pete Rose was a, it was a hitting machine. And like they said at the top of this, you know, the 4,256 hits in 24 seasons, they say he's untouchable. And I don't care what he did this last five seasons. He still got to 4,256 hits in his career. I don't think Pete Rose deserves to be in the top five, not one bit. No, absolutely not. And my whole argument is judge what he did on the field and not the last five years of his career when he was 42, 43, 44, 45. I mean, come on, really. I mean, what are you going to say, Mariano Rivera? is too old to be pitching on the mound and he's going to be overrated too? No. This guy hit 303 for his career. He actually had more walks than he did strikeouts, which, come on, how many guys over a 24-year career can say that they had more walks than strikeouts? Tony Gwynn may be one of those guys. But considering the fact 
that this guy had 4,256 hits. He had 2,165 runs in, in his career. I mean, that in, in itself is just incredible. Anybody can score over 2,000 runs for the career. How can you be overrated? Yeah, I just... I, 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 I really don't understand why Pete Rose is on. I, I, I just don't understand why he, he even makes it in the top five. I mean, if you want to, if for some reason you want to put him in, you know, in the bottom half of, because this is the 50 most overrated MLB players, then, you know, whatever, that's your prerogative. I just think it's an absolute joke that he's within the top five. You right. know, I, I couldn't agree with you the more. I just think it's a. I just think it's a. It's a ploy to try to get more readers or something for, uh, for his list. But, you know, whatever. It, I mean, that's that's not our list. This is his list. So um, that's his. That's his opinion. Yep. We can we can debate it all day long. Exactly. Uh, number four um, is uh, Don Sutton. Um, and I said that right. Correct. All right. Um, a massive thirty. Uh, three, 324 and 256 record over 23 seasons in the major leagues. Um, chalk that 30 plus victories to his longe- longevity. Um, if not for that, he wouldn't have had ever eclipsed that mark. Um, Sutton only won 20 plus games once over his long career and wasn't at his best when his team needed him the most in the World Series. Um, I'm going to stop it right there. I never want to account too much to wins and losses because that is very much determined to uh, to um, how your team is playing behind you. Um, and then they go on and talk about his five World Series appearances. Uh, went two and three with a 5.26 ERA. Um, if Sutton didn't pitch into his 40s, there is no way he would have, have reached the heights that he did. Again, he's again this guy's talking more about um, players playing into their 40s, and it seems like he almost wants the. He, it seems like he almost wants those records taken away from him just because they're pitching over 40 or playing over 40. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Tony? Well, I have Don Sutton's stats in front of me, and this is one of the big arguments I had on this list. Don Sutton broke into the majors in 1966. He retired with the Dodgers in 1988. One year, one year, was the only, which was a strike-shortened year of 1981, did he pitch below 200 innings. He, and he actually had 194 and 85, 191 and 87, and 87 in a shortened season and 88 for him. Now, come on. How can that be overrated when you're you are pitching that much as far as that many? I mean, that's Burt Blylevin territory right there. I'm surprised Burt Blylevin wasn't on this list <laughs> the way this guy ranked him. I mean, Burt Blylevin was an innings eater. This, I mean, he's going in the Hall of Fame. He went in last year, right? Or yes, this, yes. Uh, did, I, I believe he went in yeah. last year. Yes. Yeah, and, and he was pitching 270, 280. We're we're talking. Contemporaries like Don Sutton, Nolan Ryan, uh, Jim Cott, a little bit older than that. Guys like that that were just in the advent of the four-man rotation. These guys were hitting 10, 12, 15 complete games a year, seven, eight inning outings. And that's just the way it was in the in the 70s and in early on in the 80s. And as you started seeing the more specialty rules, your seventh inning, your eighth inning holder, your ninth inning closer, the guys that weren't doing the, the four, the five, the six out saves. You know, I think that this, this guy really, even though he only pitched one 20-win game, and that was in 1976, which the Dodgers made the World Series in 76, if I'm not mistaken, uh, against the Yankees, I could be mistaken. It may be Cincinnati, but still, Don Sutton shouldn't even be close to the top ten in this list. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just have a. And again, you, you really hit it on the mark, too, Tony. It seemed like you know, the way that the pitching rotations, and the way that managers back then handled their not only their starters but their bullpens was totally different than how things are, you know how things are managed now again like you said you know you have your starter usually going out and pitching you know six seven innings before giving way to your 
your setup guy in the eighth inning and then your closer in the ninth. And even before that, sometimes you even have a seventh inning guy who hands it over to your eighth inning guy, your setup guy, and then your closer in the ninth. So things were obviously a lot different back in the in the 60s and the 70s when you, di- you didn't have a setup guy. So I agree. Um, number three, we're getting to our top three here. Um, Carl Yazdremski, I can't pronounce his name. Yazdremski, or Yaz is what they called him. Um, yep. Triple crown winner. Obviously a huge, huge accomplishment for him. Um, hit 326 with 44 home runs and 121 RBIs um, during the, what season was that? Is 67, it? I think he did that in. Yes, 67. There you go. Um, he reached 40 home runs two more times that other than those two seasons, his home run total hovered in the teens. Um, he hit over 300, three more times that his average stayed near 270, which isn't all that, isn't bad. I mean, 270 isn't a horrible batting average. Um, his RBI total also was never quite as high as he only eclipsed a hundred RBIs four more times. Um, I don't know. Obviously, triple crown winner, um, 23-year career. Uh, he calls it a rather average 23-year career. What do you think of uh, of Yaz here, Tony? I don't think he's overrated at all. I don't think he's overrated. To do to accomplish a triple crown, which essentially Carl Jastrzemski is the last person to do it, in 1967 tells you how special the triple crown is. The the fact that he did it at Fenway Park is saying something as well. Now, one interesting thing, and I know we got to move along, his grandson, his name is Mike Yashremski. He's actually playing, going to be playing in the College World Series with Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. So the Yashremski bloodline does run uh, pretty thick, and it's uh, running long. Yeah, and that's, um, and you know, I mean, going back to him, it's. I mean, when you have somebody reach the triple crown, you know, I, again, the the two seventy batting average there. I mean, that's. I mean, that's it's average, um, but. I mean, that nineteen sixty seven season where he had forty four home runs, one hundred twenty one RBIs, hit three twenty six, and then he hit over three hundred three more times during his career. I don't know. I. I, I, I don't I don't see him belonging in the top three here. No. Um number two though, Roger Maris. Um he had that epic sixty one home run season. Uh going along in this article here, his career batting average though was two sixty. Uh injury row injury woes could have had played a part in, you know, as he only played in two full seasons. One, of course, being that record-setting season. Maris will always be remembered for his magical season in 61. Um, again, Roger Maris is another one of those big names out there. Uh, number two on the list, he may, I think that he makes a lot of... A lot of I don't want to say good arguments, but sound arguments in here. What do you think of, what do you think of him putting Roger Maris at number two? Uh, I, I could think about three guys I could put it at, in the top three right now, and Roger Maris may be in the top 20. Okay. <laughs> Might be in the top 20, but I, I certainly wouldn't put him number two. I mean, come on. You're hitting neck and neck with Mickey Mantle for basically what stood as the home run record for many years. I mean, many people can't say that they did that. And you know, and you got to figure the guy was maligned in New York because he got a lot of death threats. They everybody loved Mickey Mantle. They didn't want to see Roger Maris. They didn't want to see the bum do it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, he he had a lot of stress on him, but at the same time, he did have a lot of injuries. Yeah, I, I would agree about the overrated, but I wouldn't say this high. Well, number one, Tony, and when I saw this guy be number one. Out of all the other players that he mentions in this list, I don't know. I, if anything, I think that this guy isn't isn't recognized enough, and that's Nolan Ryan. Um, 
Nolan Ryan, obviously, what did what did he have? Nine no hitters in his career. Uh, yeah, Five thousand seven hundred fourteen strikeouts, um, and again he says it in here. That's a record that probably won't be broken, and and I think he's absolutely right. He fanned one thousand eighty nine hitters across the span of three years from nineteen seventy two to nineteen seventy four, um, and they say his winning percentage was rather low at five at point five two six, which again I'm not gonna. I'm not going to hang my hat too much on winning percentage just because you have to depend too much on your on your team behind you to amass yourself a higher winning percentage. Um, twice in his career, um, I'm sorry, he only he has also only won more than 20 games twice in his career, 21 and 73 and 22 and 74. And in I'm the years, teams. exactly, exactly. And in the years he did that, he started in 41 and 42 games respectively. But you hit the, you just said it, Tony. On losing teams, if you're going to hold somebody because and say that they're overrated because their winning percentage isn't high, or because they you know didn't go beyond 20 wins in a season, then to me that's that's just it's totally asinine. I I don't understand that. Nolan Ryan is one of the greatest pitchers, in my opinion, of all time. And like I said, and I truly do believe that Nolan Ryan probably doesn't get enough recognition for what he's done throughout the course of his career. And to me, it's just, it's just absolutely ridiculous that Nolan Ryan's on this list. And at the top of this, too, they, he says Nolan Ryan was a workhorse. And Nolan Ryan is one of those guys that, you know, that kind of paved the way for a lot of the pitchers that we see today. And one of those, namely, is, is a guy that, you know, pitches for my favorite team and I, your team too, Tony, and that's Justin Verlander. Sure. And I, I don't know. I just, I just don't see the justification here of him being, you know, the most overrated player of all time simply because, and it seems like his only reasoning was, is because of his low winning percentage. Well, the thing is, stats... He can't be looking at he, – he's probably just isolating his view on certain stats. But you had made re- reference to the years 71, 72, and 70 – or 72, 73, 74. Mm-hmm. Do you realize that Nolan Ryan had 72 complete games in that three years? Wait, what did you say? Did 72. You said, you said – <laughs> Oh, my God. He had 16, he had, uh, 16 shutouts. Uh-huh. He had a, he had a save. In 1973, the only glaring stat that I can see in his entire resume here is walks. He owns the major league record for walks. He had 2,795 walks. That's 100 a season. Mm-hmm. That's you know, but but he averaged 200. He basically averaged 250 strikeouts a year too. And to me, so, I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead, Tony. No, I, I just. He pitched on bad teams. There was a there was a, a bad team that he pitched on. In fact, in '87, he went eight and sixteen, which is probably the worst. It was his worst winning percentage of his career. But he had a two point seven six ERA at eight and sixteen. Can you imagine having an ERA? I'd be suing for non-support. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's and and I and I totally agree with you. I see. You know, I see. You know, guys that have that have you know, unfortunately, have played on bad teams now, like a uh, you know, like a Zach Granke when he was playing in um, in uh, in Kansas City, you know, have to sure. deal with you know with the team that they put behind him, and you know, you know, and Cliff Lee when he was uh, you know, when he was out in Seattle, and even you know, his you know when he was getting ready to leave Cleveland too, uh. You, you just you can't hold especially a pitcher to what the team did behind him just because it's i mean he can't control how the team hits and how many runs they they give him for support i mean nolan ryan exactly. is nolan ryan like i said he's probably one of the one of the greatest pitchers he is one of the greatest pitchers of all time and right. no way that he deserves to be on the number number 1 on this i mean i'm going back on the list right now and looking at a lot of other guys here that, you know, he ranks higher 
or further back on this list here. And I, you know, and for one, he has he has Barry Zito, who you know ever <laughs> Barry since Zito being my top five. Yeah, ever since ever since he left Oakland, you know, to go to the Giants. I mean, what the hell happened there? Um, we see Joe Carter, who you know is probably more known for his walk off, you know home run in the what was that was that the 93 world series uh 93 against mitch williams yeah um who else do we have here uh i mean jason giambi is another one again he had a couple of good years in oakland when he went to the yankees we pretty much never heard from him again aside from the uh aside from the steroid allegations um one of my favorites on here is and I may be a little biased in it is uh is Jonathan Papelbon. I think that this guy is going to be a gas can here within the next um I don't want to say 5 years, but I don't know. I think I I I think Jonathan Papelbon is is tremendously overrated and he should probably be at least within the top 15. Um I don't know. I just yeah, and some then of I, the ones on there really question. They had Jorge Posada on there. I'm like, come on, Jorge Posada and Jason Veritek are both on there, even though they're in the lower the lower half. Still, these guys were basically basically the quarterbacks for very good Yankee and Red Sox teams coming up from about the mid '90s on, and this guy has them as overrated catchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I and I don't know. It seems maybe he's he's undervaluing the the catcher position, but you know, I think catchers should get you know more credibility when a pitcher throws a no hitter or a perfect game than they than they than they do because they're the ones that are, for the most part, you know, or or have a lot of hand in calling those games. One that stands out here though that I'm surprised isn't further up in this list, Tony Alfonso Soriano. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, uh, I mean, obviously the big thing with him is he was, uh, is he was the, the guy that you know brought Alex Rodriguez to New York in that deal, which he went to Texas, uh, but you know, ever since he signed with the Cubs, he just fell off the radar. Kind of like what happened with Barry Zito, maybe not as extreme, but um, I definitely think that Alfonso Soriano belongs higher up on this list. Right. Um, other than that, though, we are one last thing that I want to get to. Tony. Obviously, um, unfortunately, we can't get to our, um, you know, what teams we declare are dead from playoff contention. That's something that we can we'll get give to that another week. Yeah, we'll get that <laughs> another week. Um, I want to talk about this real quick, though. Is the is the Bryce Harper home run incident that we saw? I believe it was last week, um, where he. Uh, Obviously, he's great, or I don't want to say great young hitter. He's a very, very promising young hitter for the uh, for the Washington Nationals. And right now, I believe he is playing. Um, is he playing Double A or Triple A right now? I think he is playing Double A. I believe. Is he playing Double A? Anyways, the other night, last week, hits a home run. Obviously, there was some tension between. Um, you know, between him and the team that he was playing. Um, when he hit the home run, he did his best Ken Griffey Jr. impression, watched it for a few seconds, trotted around the bases. When he rounded third, looked at the pitcher, blew him a kiss, touched home plate, went into the dugout. It seemed like some things were said. To me, he's lucky that uh, that he didn't start a brawl and that he didn't get his ass kicked from that. <laughs> Um, Tony, I didn't know if you saw, I don't know if you're able to see the YouTube video or anything from it, but, uh, I don't know. Did you well, get to know, see, did you well, get to I see it? I didn't personally see it, but I, I heard Mike Schmidt had a heck of a lot to say about it. And he was very outspoken, basically mm-hmm. said, you know, the kid needs to, uh, dial it back. I mean, he's, I mean, it's South Atlantic A ball. And right now he, he's, he's mashing the ball in, uh, in A ball. I mean, he's hitting 338. Uh, you know, work your way up, and then if you hit 60, 70 home runs in a year, then you can do that. But you know what? You're 18 years old. Do what you do. You know, don't let your ego override your talent right now. That, t- that sounds like tip talking. I don't know why, but <laughs> <laughs> it does. Wow. <laughs> 
Holy smokes, I learned something from him. Um, no, but honestly, he, he really just needs to he needs to play his game. And he's got plenty of time. He doesn't need to be a hot dog about things. No. Um, I, I, I cannot imagine what would happen if he did that, if he was playing for the Nationals right now. Um, if he actually did that to a major league pitcher. Uh, I, I just think it would, it would have gotten really, really ugly. Let's just say the Washington Nationals were playing an interleague game with uh, with the Chicago White Sox and Ozzie Guillen. Um, I think it would probably be safe to say that uh, that the next time Harper was up, you would probably see a a pitch being thrown at his head. <laughs> oh, Burley ain't gonna take that. Burley is not. Burley will not let him get away with something like that. No. Yeah, try to do that with Mark Burley. You'll you'll end up <laughs> with a few stitches in your side. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Ozzy Guillen would have to tell Mark Burley to uh, to throw at his head. I think Mark. I think you're right. I think Mark Burley would do that on his own. So. Um, other than that, though, we are out of time, um, way out of time here. But uh, I told you at the top of the show, we had a packed show, and we uh, we definitely hit on all the important points there. Um, make sure you stay tuned, though. Next week, we'll be back at you again, same time, same place, 8, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on the East Coast, 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time out on the West Coast. Um right here on themajors.net. So for Tony, myself, Tip at Home, I hope everybody has a good rest of the week, and we will see you next time.